You're listening to the Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast. For 30 years, the Forum on Workplace Inclusion has served as a convening hub for those seeking to grow their leadership and effectiveness in the field of diversity, equity, and inclusion by engaging people, advancing ideas, and igniting change. Our 2019 conference, Bridging the Gap, is April 16th, 17th, and 18th, 2019. Join our mailing list to receive updates by visiting forumworkplaceinclusion.org. In this episode, hear playback from our July 19th webinar titled Strategies for How to Get Invited to the Table and Sustain Your Place with host Dr. Shirley Davis of SDS Global Enterprises Incorporated and Ben Rue, Program Coordinator of the Forum on Workplace Inclusion. And thank you to our webinar sponsor, Aon. Welcome to today's webinar. I'm Ben Rue, Program Coordinator here at the Forum on Workplace Inclusion. I'm pleased to have you here for today's webinar, Strategies for How to Get Invited to the Table and to, and to Sustain Your Place, with presenter Dr. Shirley Davis of SDS Global Enterprises, Inc. This is the fifth webinar of our 2018 webinar workplace, um, Forum on Workplace Inclusion webinar series, sponsored by Aon. We hope you enjoy this experience and find this information helpful in your work and you join us for future webinars. Today, Dr. Davis will be presenting for about 45 minutes with Q&A at the end. Please utilize your chat feature in order to ask questions. As a note, when utilizing the chat feature, please make sure to that you have selected all, uh, all panelists and attendees so that everyone can see your message. <clears throat> and, uh, there will be also be a brief poll at, uh, at the end of the webinar, so please feel free to participate. At the, end of the web, at the end of this webinar, you'll also be asked to fill out a brief survey on your experience. Please take a moment to fill out the survey as your feedback helps us shape future webinars. We truly appreciate your open and honest feedback. Today's webinar is SHRM and HRCI eligible. The activities IDs will be provided at the end of the webinar. It is also being recorded and will be posted onto our website next week and will be available for download via podcast and is actually being um, broadcast live on Facebook Live. Visit our website, Forum on Workplace Inclusion.org, or Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn for more information. Before I hand things off to Dr. Davis, I'd like to share a brief message from our sponsor, Aon. Where will today take you? Where will you take today? Will you step out into who you are, into who you can be? Aeon, we're committed to helping you be your best and ensuring you experience the best of Aeon. It's your chance to own your potential. A chance to develop professionally through unmatched opportunities and tools to help you succeed. It's your opportunity to work with the best, to learn from and grow with each other. A place where colleagues value one another, where perspectives are embraced and people are celebrated. It's freedom to reach out and make a difference. So clients succeed, so communities grow, so colleagues thrive. This is what it means to work at Aeon, what it feels like when we are at our best. Impact, people, opportunities, and support. This is the Aeon Colleague Experience, and together, it's how we'll empower results. Thank you so much again, Aon, for your support. And now I would like to hand things over to Dr. Shirley Davis. 
Awesome. Thank you so much. It is awesome to be here and I am looking forward to today's time. Thank you everyone for being a part of today's webinar. I've been looking forward to this and as you'll see in the chat room, I've welcomed all of you, but I also said, hey, in the chat while I'm kicking things off, tell us today how you heard about today's webinar. So let's get started because when we're talking about something as important as how do we get a seat at the table, one of the things we have to certainly understand is that the seat and the table have got to change. I mean, today we are living in a much more diverse and multicultural, multi-generational, much more global and virtual and hyper-connected society. And we know that the workplace, the workforce and the marketplace, and even all of our communities, they have been changing dramatically over the past several years. And they're gonna to continue to change into year 2020, 2025, and even into what I talk about, workforce, 2030. We've seen too how our society has changed, the needs, the expectations, the ways that people work, the ways that we interact and engage each other. All of these are critical to the way that we have to think about how the global workforce and the workplace is changing. And as the global workforce becomes much more competitive and, and, and even complex, the demands for us as professionals to be much more strategic and to be more business focused is not an option anymore. It is a necessity. And so by doing this, you'll not only provide leadership and strategic guidance, but you'll also be able to position yourself for that seat at the leadership table that you covet. For those of you who don't know me, I am Dr. Shirley Davis, and I do a lot of work on the global changing workforce and culture transformation and how to attract great top talent. If it's diverse, great. Um, but also, how do you build inclusive and high-performing workplaces and what kind of leaders do we need going into the workforce of the future and how do you lead across borders and across cultures and even across generations. That's the work that I do. I'm a 30-year HR veteran. I have been a chief global diversity and inclusion officer for a number of Fortune 50 and Fortune 100 companies and most recently for eight years I worked at the world's largest HR association, the Society for Human Resource Management. And so I have had an opportunity to work in over 30 countries and work with multi, multinational corporations and CEOs and their executive teams and professionals all around the world, helping them to create the kind of culture to embrace and value diversity, to champion inclusion and build inclusive and high performing workplaces so that those of us who are workers and professionals of color have an equal and a level playing field that allows us the opportunity to get that seat at the table. So it's certainly important to know that the seat and the table not only need to change, they are changing. And the workforce is gonna to continue to do that over the next 10 to 15 years. There's research that also tells us that it pays to have diversity even at the table. A lot of research um, companies and consulting firms have done quite a bit of study over longitudinal um, studies and, and certainly been looking at it for the last couple of decades. Um, Harvard Business Review does quite a bit of studies and they even looked at top, uh, top leaders to look at what kind of leadership do they need to display. And one of the things that they continue to come out is recognizing that companies who have more diverse leaders that are at the top, that they are 45% more likely to report market share growth. 
um, we also find too, as we look at some of these, is that nearly 70%, this was a study that was done um, by McKinsey and Company, and they found that nearly 70%, um, I'm sorry, excuse me, this one is still the Harvard Business Review. I'll talk about McKinsey in just a second, but in this Harvard study that I was just uh, quoting, is that 70% of them report that they're more likely to capture a new market share as a result of having more diverse leaders. When we look at gender diversity and we look at more women, not only at the top, but even women in board uh, positions, that we find that they actually outperform their competitors, but they're 15% more likely to report financial returns. And then we also have, again, studies that show ethnic diversity. So not only having more women at the top, but also having more people of color at the top and having certainly uh, more leaders in general that understand and value and embrace diversity. But we find that they produce 35% more in their financial returns as well. So it really does pay to have diversity at the top. One of the reasons why I wrote the book is not only, you know, being a leadership coach uh, and a certified executive uh, and, and life coach as well, but as I work with professionals at all levels inside of the organizations, I can totally relate to their stories because throughout my career, I've pursued a lot of seats in my climb up the corporate ladder. I mean, I've been in the interview seat. I've been in the promotion seat. I've been in the negotiation of my salary seat. I've been in the leadership seat where I was leading and managing teams that directly reported to me. I've been in the executive seat reporting up to the uh, CEO or the C uh, CIO. And now I'm in the entrepreneur seat. So there's a number of seats that we all really traverse through our career, but all of us can attest that we've been in pursuit of at least one of these seats at different times and points and stages in our career, and that that pursuit can truly be a journey. I mean, for me, it was wrought with a lot of disappointments. I've experienced setbacks and failures. I've even had haters. I've had people that have marginalized me. I've felt unjustifiably criticized and held to a different standard, and yet, I've also had to realize how important it was to continue to persevere through all that adversity, to, to make sacrifices, to compromise, to make right decisions, and to stay focused and be fearless and courageous and just be determined to succeed in the face of all of these obstacles. Many of you can relate to this. All of my life, I've been a woman. I've been a person of color. I was a single mom as well. And I also had to deal with a lot of stereotypes and biases and prejudices and even prejudgments. And we know that that's what prejudice is. It's about prejudging someone else before you know who they are. And oftentimes it's based on what we see, that 10% that's at the top of the waterline, like our skin color, our gender, our age, our race or ethnicity, or any of some of those other outward appearances that we can see. And those prejudgments really can impact decisions regarding anything like selections and promotions and pay and performance ratings and feedback and who gets choice assignments and special projects and all these other decisions that relate specifically to our employment 
as workers. And unfortunately, I did experience a lot of those prejudgments and biases in every aspect of my career. Some of you might relate to these, and these are some of the most common issues in career development that I've had to coach others with as well, but I can totally relate. Things like being denied opportunities for promotion that were given to other people who were already cherry-picked. Or what about training the person who would later become your supervisor or your boss? Or being marginalized on performance reviews or surprised by ratings that had no substantiation and you had no conversations throughout the year? Or what about having your ideas stolen and taken credit for by your supervisor? Or being accused of getting certain roles due to tokenism, that the only reason you got the job was because you were you know, the only person of color? or even receiving offensive or insulting comments disguised as compliments. Things like referring to me as very articulate and talking white or being even-tempered and, and intelligent or someone telling me that I'm not like those other black women. Those are just a few of some of the examples that really have defined my story, my journey, and the reason why I coach so many others, recognizing that we are all on this journey together and that yet there are some strategies that we all have to employ in order to move up the corporate ladder or to get that seat at the table. So I'm going to share 12 strategies that I employed and that I also spoke with my mentors, some of my sponsors throughout my career, talking to other successful executives and leaders who were able to sort of crack that code or crack a bit of the glass ceiling and who have achieved these, um, these seats at the table and not only have a seat, but also have influence and have impact. I'm gonna share that with you from 25 plus years of experience, but also having gathered this data anecdotally as well as experientially. So what I'm gonna ask you to do as I share these 12 is to rate yourself on a scale of one to five. So I'm gonna ask you to take out a piece of paper and a pen, and I'm going to go through these 12. And so one is not effective at all, two being somewhat effective, three being uh, just average. I might be effective, might not be effective. So kind of neutral, four being effective and five being very effective. So as I talk through each of these, just make notations because at the end of these 12, we're going to take a poll and I wanna kind of see where most of you feel like you fit. So this is your time to be open and be honest, be transparent, keep it real as I go through each of these 12. So again, as I said, I've experienced them, but these are also things that I know others have experienced. And these are the things that they were able to do to overcome those obstacles. And the first thing is recognizing that even when we talk about getting a seat at the table, in all reality, we have to recognize that you never get the seat at the table. You really have to earn your seat at the table. And so it's, it's a, an important skill for us to learn is that it starts with you. It starts with me. It starts with us. First of all, knowing who you are and being comfortable in your skin. I find too many off, too many times and too often when I'm coaching and talking to other, other leaders and professionals who want to move up that ladder, who want to achieve that seat at the table, when I ask them, what is your purpose? What is your vision in life? What is your own motto? What is it that's important to you? Not enough people can answer the question of what's my why? 
And if you've ever read Simon Sinek's book, that's a very, very important question that you have to have because it helps you to navigate and determine directionally in your life what's most important, where you need to go, and what aligns with your particular values and your purpose. And it helps you to make better decisions. So knowing your why is very important. Knowing who you are, your strengths, your talents, your gifts, what things you know that you can do better than anyone else can do. Knowing what it is that for you drives you, motivates you, gets you up every morning, makes you want to go to work, makes you want to get out of bed. Those are important to know. And obviously, your level of credibility will help determine if you're earning a seat at the table. How credible are you in the organization? Kind of what's your brand? What's important for people to know about you? I always say that, you know, it's important that we know people, but it's more important that people know who we are and that they also know um, what what's important and what strengths we bring to the table that they see of value. So it's not so much what you know and it's not as much of who you know. It's about what they know about you and what value you bring to the table as well. So earning it, recognizing that getting a seat at the table is not earned. So take a few minutes and, or take a, a few seconds, I should say, and rate yourself on this particular skill. How effective are you on a scale of one to five? Great. So I'm going to move to the second one. And the uh, second, um, second thing to know about this is finding your passion and how important that is. When you are earning your seat at the table, you're building that credibility and you're building your brand. One of the things Steve Jobs said that's so important in finding your passion is the only way to do great work is to love what you do. And if you have not found that yet, keep looking. Don't settle. Do not compromise. And it's with all matters of the heart, you'll know it when you find it. So important is the second part here is, or the second strategy to getting a seat at the table is that you've got to learn the business. One of the reasons for me is I um, took on a number of new and uh, new roles that I had not tried before. I had worked in HR almost all my life, but there was a stint in my life for about three to five years where I worked out of the HR uh, sort of ivory tower, and I went to go work into operations. And I remember feeling like a fish out of water. I remember feeling like I was um, not welcomed, and I probably wasn't because I wasn't speaking their language. I didn't understand the business, but it was one of the most important and significant changes that I made in my career was to get out of my office, get out of HR, and move over into operations, over into our production department, and and to see how the company actually was making their money, how they were interacting with the customers, how they were making their widgets, how they were servicing and, and, and working in the call centers to meet the needs of our customers. And so it was a game changer for me to get out there and to learn the business. I recognized that I had been sort of hidden away in HR, away from the day-to-day -day operations of what was happening, and I was out of touch. And so one of the things that's important to know if you want to learn that business is to understand what are the top three business objectives in your company. And I asked this question of a bunch of my HR professional colleagues. They don't, they're not always able to answer this. Less than 10% of the hands in the room go up. But I ask each of you, 
How many of you can articulate what are the top three business objectives? Or if you're not in corporations, you're in business, you're in, uh, it might be in, in higher ed, you might be in government, you might be in not other nonprofits. What are your top three organizational objectives? Every company has them, but many of us don't know what they are. Do you know what's keeping your CEO up at night? Do you know what are some of the pain points that he or she is experiencing? Do you know what are some of the, the challenges that they face that they have to go back to and report to the board of directors, you know, the key stakeholders? What is keeping them really challenged uh, at night? And then understanding your organization's three to five year strategic plan. Too many people that I've coached and talked to who are aspiring to move up the corporate ladder and get that seat, when I ask them about their strategic plan of the company, they have never accessed it. They don't even know where it is, and they couldn't articulate what are some of the specific and intentional directional guidelines that the company is taking over the next three to five years. And it's also important if you want to learn the business is to know who your competitors are, at least know the top five. And these are the things that your CEO, your CFO, your CIO, your chief technology officer, the president of your company and all the C-suite executives, they are they are they're held accountable for who for knowing what their goals and, and strategic plan is. But they're also held accountable for understanding how what they do every day stacks up to their competition. So that's a very important step for us to take. So I want you to rate yourself on the second one. On a scale of one to five, how well, how effective are you doing in learning the business? Can you answer these four specific questions? The third one is to know the leaders in the organization. How important is that, right? And so again, it's not so much about them knowing just who you are, but you gotta know who the leaders are, what's important to them. Um, one of the most important um, go, uh, the, the directions that I got from one of my mentors who was an executive, he was on the uh, C-suite team and I was moving up the corporate ladder, is one of the things that he shared with me was each and every one of the executive team's personalities. So that whenever I would go in and I would literally look at um, my presentation and, and how I was going to present it to, uh, to the leadership team or to the executive team, he would walk me through how I needed to position my presentation in a way that would relate to the leaders. I also, one of the things that I got in the habit of doing in companies that I would uh, move into uh, or even di different departments and different divisions is I would go out and spend time understanding, doing meet and greets with the top leaders in each of those divisions or departments or even that company. The first 30 days, for example, if I took on a new role, I would literally um, spend 30 minutes doing meet and greets and just getting a chance to know the leaders. And as a result of doing that, the leaders also got to know me. I think you guys all know that people make assessments and judgments about you. And oftentimes they don't know you, they know of you. But it's important for you to get in that office Office and get a chance to meet them very early on uh, and get a chance to understand what they're thinking, what's keeping them up at night, what they're challenged by, what drives them, what, what ways you guys can partner, how can you best serve them, and what's the best way to work together. So that's, again, the, the third one. So know your leaders. 
All right, I'm going to ask you to rate yourself on a scale of one to five. How are you doing there? Do you know your leaders in your division, in your department, and certainly at the C-suite level? Now, I recognize some of you may be so far removed from the C-suite level, so think about the next level ahead of you. Do you know the leaders? Have you had a chance to make yourself known, make yourself visible by getting to know some of them as well? All right, the next one is to become a SME. I hope all of you in some way, some aspect are honing in on a specific expertise that you have, that you own, that you can master. So as you become a subject matter expert, this is example, for example for me. I was in human resources and I started out in training and development and learning in OD, but I also wanted to become a generalist and right. So I wanted to learn everything about HR and everything there was to know about organizational behavior. But then I also said, okay, now that I have a good conversational working knowledge of this area that I focus on, let me now become a subject matter expert. And out of all the areas that I worked in HR, which one do I want to master? Which one do I want to become the go-to person, the thought leader? And so for even those of you who are entrepreneurs, you need to be a thought leader and an expert in what you do. And so for me, it became understanding more around culture transformation, workforce trends, and how do we help leaders really hone their skills to help be able to bring out the best and the most productivity out of their workers. So you've got to become a subject matter expertise. And this means developing and growing, perfecting your skills. And sometimes the easiest way to become a subject matter expert is to take advantage of a lot of the uh, learning opportunities, certifications, different programs that are offered, get a mentor in some of those areas, read some of the best-selling books in your field, and take advantage of a lot of the online, online learning courses that are available. So study your craft, study the company, study the, the kinds of uh, surrounding uh, interrelated kinds of um programs that will help you understand the impact up, down, and across the the organization. So again, rate yourself here. And again, assess how well you're doing this. How effective are you? Who are you really considered a subject matter expert in your organization? When you are a subject matter expert, you are then adding value to the organization and you want to execute your pull strategy versus just your, um, your, your push your knowledge out, right? So you want to then become the kind of person that people go to you and you want to be at that level. You want to be recognized that, you know what? I want to go to Jane if I know, if I need this kind of expertise. So I want to go to Shirley if I have that kind of expertise. So become known as that. All right, you rate yourself on a scale of one to five. Then we're going to go to the next one. And that is, you have to be a leader. So not just getting to know the leaders in the organization, not just those at the top of the organization, but what about you becoming a leader as well? Now, I'm a big believer that you, everyone in their organizations are a leader at every level, whether you are the executive assistant or whether you are the project manager. And even if you do not have someone reporting directly to you, you can be a leader, whether that is being a leader who is driving programs and initiatives and projects, and you work on teams, you can speak up, you can stand up, you can step up, you can take on additional assignments and responsibilities as a leader, and you can lead a team without having to have people directly report 
to you. So being a leader is important and you've got to be a strong leader, right? A strong leader is somebody who others want to follow. And it's been said that if you think you're a leader and nobody's following you, then you're really just taking a walk. A leader is someone who provides vision that others want to follow and they see greatness in other people and they help bring out the best in everyone. They have a powerful presence. That means that they have poise and posture and polish and that they are refined. They have the ability to perform under pressure. And it's also sometimes been referred to as executive presence. So all of us are leaders in our own right, but not all of us are effective leaders. Not all of us are powerful leaders. Not all of us have a powerful presence and not all of us are polished. So there's an opportunity for all of us to take that step, to move into that role of leader, to be passionate, to be authentic, to be a trusted source, but also to ensure that you are helping to drive value in the organizations. That's a sign of a great leader. So I'm going to ask you to rate yourself again on being a leader. And then we are going to go to the next one. Next strategy is strategy number six. And that is you got to get some early wins, some quick wins, meaning you've got to get in and you've got to understand as the company is changing, and we know companies change very rapidly, new technology is coming along pretty fast. It becomes quite obsolete. Decisions are being made at lightning speed and companies got to stay agile. The workforce is becoming more uh, diverse as we talked about. And so when you think about all these things that are happening in the pace of change in business today, it's important for all of us to get measurable wins as quickly as possible so that we can stay competitive. You've got to know where the company is going. You've got to know how what you do fits in and how does it add value? How does it enable the success of the company? How what you do every day helps to achieve the company's end results. So thinking about how you get those early wins, set some specific goals, you know, milestones of things that you can do, things that you can contribute and results that you are achieving. You want to track those and you want to be able to share those, state those to your to your direct supervisor, state them out to the projects that you're working on, state them out to the leaders that you're presenting your results to. Uh, obviously, all of us are very familiar with SMART goals, but it's important for us to make sure that as we are getting these early wins, that they are measurable and that they matter. All right. Rate yourself on that one. And I'm going to go to number seven. I see some questions coming through. I appreciate your uh, questions. And we're going to uh, ask uh, answer some of those near the end. I'm allowing some time for that as well. So number seven is to collaborate across the organization. There's no better way to get a seat at the table. Obviously, all the others are important, but collaboration and collaborating across the organization is important because sometimes when people collaborate, they think that as long as they're collaborating within their own little silo, within their own little department, with their own division and their own you know, direct team, that that's collaboration. But there is some real value and there's a great benefit to collaborating across the organization. One is it will allow you to take on greater um, roles and be able to add and contribute in a larger, broader way to the organization. It certainly adds to your knowledge of learning more about the business, learning more about the leaders and learning more about the kind of work that happens around you and not just directly where you are. So we want to make sure that as we are building our resumes, as we're building our pro profiles and our portfolios, that we're adding a broad level of knowledge. 
Companies now are very, very attracted to collaboration as a competency and certainly as a skill set. So as we do that, you get to learn more people, but the benefit and the advantage is that it has is, I remember when I was doing this in one of my companies and I ended up having a very bad boss, a toxic boss and someone that I just hated even getting up in the morning to go to work for. And so after a while, when things just didn't get better, I was able to then move to another division. The reason I could do that was because I leveraged my relationships by collaborating across the organization. So I was able to pick up the phone and say, hey, you guys have something going on. I know there's a big project that you guys were working on, or I know that, you know, there's some uh, opportunities that you mentioned might be coming. I know you guys are expanding or whatever, or hey, just keep me in mind when something comes up. And because they knew me, they were easily able to say, hey, yeah, you might be very interested in this. So collaboration across the organization adds value to the company. It adds value to the work that you do, but it also adds value to your ability to be able to take on greater responsibilities and maybe even leverage new opportunities. So rate yourself there on skill number seven or strategy number seven of uh, how well, how effective are you at collaboration? Number eight. Ooh, be courageous. You know, this is a conversation that we're having all across the company, uh, all across the country now and companies all around the world, actually, about the importance of having courage, the ability to speak up on tough issues. I mean, if you want to have a voice at the table, you've got to be willing to speak up when you see something that doesn't fit within the culture or something that doesn't you know, fit with your values or even just having to face tough decisions that you know all of us have to deal with and being willing to do it in a, a very courageous way. So you've got to be able to demonstrate courage to speak up on things that people face inside of the organization and sometimes aren't willing to say anything. Now, I'm not saying you be the one to die on the hill. You do have to choose your battles. But I am saying that you should not be the one that lays down and, and becomes yes to everything when you know that it violates your values, the company values, that it's something that isn't a right fit for what, what you're doing, where you're trying to go, or even just being really courageous and stepping up even on some of the issues that we're dealing with, even uh, in our national conversation, right? There's a lot of disruptive conversations going on about race, about gender, about the changing workforce, about immigration, about LGBTQ, and about so many different things that we have conflicts with. And there, this is the time now where companies are having to take that courageous step and be willing to have the conversations that they in the past have deemed to be taboo. I'm being called more and more to work, for, work with companies now on the whole Me Too, Time's Up, No More Movement dealing with harassment and a conversation that they haven't had in years that you know they've been having once a year check the box training online but really haven't dealt with some of the issues that drive harassment in the workplace like co toxic cultures and bad leaders and so now we're having those courageous conversations and having to step up so I'm big on knowing to knowing when you have to speak up knowing what to say when you say it and saying it in a way that it can be received saying it in a way that doesn't make people feel isolated or insulted or offended, learning how to say things in a very tactful, diplomatic way. And then, as I said, too, also being cur being courageous, being willing to take risk, um, but not necessarily dying on the wrong hill. So that's an important piece, too. A lot of these things I go into a lot more detail in the book, but it, be courageous is very important as a skill set in today's workforce. So rate yourself there. How effective are you at being courageous? 
All right, then we're gonna go to strategy number nine, and that's an important skill and competency as well too, is that we've got to recognize that the workplace, the marketplace, technology, and globally, it's changing, right? Everyone wants to be more innovative. Everyone wants to be more competitive. Everyone wants to know what the future holds and thinking more futuristically and certainly being more strategic. And so, it's important for us to do that as well individually. So thinking innovatively is about moving away from the status quo, right? It's about never saying we've always done it that way. It's about looking constantly for ways to improve, ways to get better, especially given the competitive nature of the, you know, the global changing and hyper-connected workforce. It's about embracing even the diversity at the table and being open to new ideas and recognizing that when you've got a difference of opinions, when you've got opposing opinions. That's a good thing. But oftentimes we take it personally and we resist it. But when you've got diversity of thought and personalities and style and ways that we see the world, it actually, and what research tells us, is that it provides a much better solution, a much better outcome. The way that you become more innovative is to get people at the table who don't think like you think. Being strategic is about having a long-term perspective. It's about asking yourself how an idea is going to add value and, and think in terms of the long-lasting success and sustainability of the organization. So for me, a while ago, I was working for a company and it was expanding to a number of different countries outside of the U.S. And the company had a strong domestic strategy. But now that we were going international, we needed a global strategy. So this was a big undertaking that was going to dramatically affect the direction of the organization. And in my role as that global head of diversity and inclusion and workforce strategies, I realized that if we wanted to be that go-to company and we wanted to position ourselves strategically and successfully, that we were going to need to be um, thinking much more futuristically about what the workforce and the needs of the workforce were going to be 10 years down the road. And so I began to pivot and reposition the, the department and our strategy in a way that then set the company up for greater success and that we became a thought leader. We became that go-to organization for resources and for tools and for thinking, some of the best thinking and some of the best ideas. So we all have to, again, Think about how we can be innovative right where we are in our own uh, divisions, in our own departments. What new products can we help contribute to? What new ideas can we share that have, hasn't been shared before? What things can we stop doing that if we did, nobody would care and it wouldn't have any impact at all? So think about what I need to be doing today, but also what I need to do a few years from now and how is that going to add value to the strategic direction of the company? Okay, rate yourself on that strategy. And I'm going to go to number 10. Number 10 is securing a sponsor, right? We talk a lot about this. And so I'm not going to spend too much time here. Many of us know that in order to get a seat at the table, it's not enough just to have a mentor. It's not enough just to have a peer coach. You need to have a, a sponsor. And a, let me tell you the difference between a mentor and a sponsor. A mentor is someone who's experienced and they're a trusted advisor. There's someone who gives you advice. They help you build your skills. They help you identify where your gaps are. And they help you maybe even do a personal SWOT analysis, right? Your strengths, your weaknesses, your opportunities, and your threats. They'll help you understand your strengths. They'll help you understand where you need to go, individual developments. And they'll help walk you through you know, as your accountability partner to help you grow to the next level. 
But a sponsor and a champion is someone that we need who will speak on our behalf when we're not even in the room. A sponsor is a senior level person who has influence at the table, who has influence among their peers, who people look at as a a very influential leader and, and someone who will champion you. So you need to have someone who is your voice in the room when you're not there, who will help you understand in front of your uh, your peers and uh, their peers, I'm sorry, who will help them understand the strengths, the talents, the value that you bring and the reason why you need to be at that table. I've had several sponsors, which is why I was able to get a seat at the table. And even as an entrepreneur now, I may not have an executive sponsor uh, sort of personally, but I have some that I know in different corporations that I work with and work for. And when I get in there and I do great work, I use them as my contact, as my sponsor, so to speak. And they're the ones that are saying, you need to get Dr. Davis in here to help us with this strategy. You need to get uh, Dr. Davis in here to do the keynote. She's going to you know, rock the stage. So those are the kinds of sponsors that you need. And all of us have to have that. All right. I want you to rate yourself here on your effectiveness. Do you have a sponsor and how well is that working for you? All right. And I'm going to go to number 11. This is very important. Strategy number 11 is that you've got to get out of the office. You know what? Your seat might not be at the boardroom and your seat might not be in the conference room table. Your seat might not even be sitting at your desk in your cubicle. Your seat may be outside of the office. And what I mean by that is that you've got to step away from the desk. A lot of times what I find, particularly in women and minority leaders, is that we think that if we just keep our head down and we just work hard, we put in a lot of hours, we get results and it will be noticed. But what I find is some of the best decisions and the most important decisions that are being made are those that are outside of the office, whether that is going out for drinks after work. I'm not an out. I don't drink alcohol, but I can drink an out. I can drink a ginger ale. Um, I'm not one that loves golf, but I love to ride in the golf cart and talk. So for me, I've learned that, you know what, I've got to make some of those sacrifices. I got to make some of those compromises and get out of the office and have those conversations and get to know people. One of the very best examples that I have is that one year I was working for an energy company, a utility company, and I was speaking at their presidential offsite, their retreat. And I did a great job or whatever. And I think that they just thought that they needed to invite me out just as a courtesy to their next morning. They were having a team building disguised as golf outing, right? I didn't play golf, didn't like golf. It's like, okay, it's too hot for golf and all of that. They were going to meet up at six o'clock in the morning and they were going to play golf. I never played it, but I thought, you know what? In in a matter of seconds, I talked myself out of it and I said, I'm going to go. I went there, showed up the next morning. They were playing something called best ball. For those of you who are golfers, you know what that means. And I actually got put on a team and they taught me all the ins and outs. They told, taught me what the putter was. They taught me what the iron was. They taught me what the seven iron, the nine iron and all of those. And so I actually got into it. But more importantly, I got to know them and they got to know me. They got to know me on a very personal basis. They got to know the, the things that keep me up at night. They got to know my daughter, you know, things that I was doing as a mom and some of the activities she was involved in. 
And I can remember weeks and weeks later that when I would see them, they would then speak to me. Prior to that, they didn't know who I was and they would walk down the hallway and really not even speak. They could ask me, you know, how's Tori doing, my daughter? How's she doing? How's her gymnastics meets going? We had a personal relationship. And had I not ever got out the office and tried something new and different, I would have never had the opportunity to get to know them and them get to know me. So that's what we've got to do. You know, get out of the office, go to some of the after work activities, uh, get out of the office and just walk down the hallway sometimes and do some meet and greets and uh, do some drive-bys. Hello, how are you doing? How are things working? You know, uh, here, what are you working on? Here's some things I'm working on. You know, what's, you know, what are, what's the latest buzz and, you know, where are we going in our, in our strategic plan? So some of those things are very helpful, but I would say do not keep your head in the office, in your computer, and stay away from, from getting to know people in the office. All right, and our next one is to be an entrepreneur. Be an entrepreneur. This is strategy number 12. Be an entrepreneur and operate your business, operate your office, operate your project, your programs, your initiative, like an uh, be an entrepreneur. So you can be both, right? An entrepreneur versus an entrepreneur. Let me tell you what an, an, an entrepreneur is someone obviously who is on the inside of the organization. They, you know, they, um, they're thinking about their business, but they're not necessarily thinking about the importance of the company's business. So let's say, for example, you have something that you do on the side or something that you do on the weekends as an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur is someone who is employed in an organization. They are ones that are thinking about the value and the impact and the power of the organization and what other things they can do, new ideas that they can bring, new solutions that they can offer. An entrepreneur is one that's willing to take risks, willing to step out there and put their, you know, their ideas out there and to be heard. Whereas an entrepreneur, you're your own boss or you take on more risk, you have more freedom, yes. But an, an entrepreneur, as Steve Jobs says, that it doesn't make sense to hire smart people and then tell them what to do. At, at Apple, obviously, they hire smart people so that they can tell us what to do. And I love what uh, Richard Branson said is that an entrepreneur is an employee who's given freedom and financial support to create new products and services and systems who do not have to follow companies as usual routines and protocols. So it's thinking outside of the box or acting like there's no box at all. Be an entrepreneur inside of your organizations. I think I said be an entrepreneur earlier, but I meant be an entrepreneur, not just an entrepreneur. I was both when I was still working at my last company because I was starting my business on the side and I was thinking about all the risks that I was going to take, the money I was going to need to invest in it, the time it was going to take. So I was thinking like an entrepreneur. But there was times also that I was an entrepreneur inside of my employer as well, because I was then utilizing my influence, my role, my leadership responsibilities. And I was trying to think of new ways, new products, new services and things that we could do that were different and innovative and that would add value. So all of us need to think and be an entrepreneur inside of our organizations. When leaders know that you are willing to contribute, you're fully engaged, you're productive, you're offering new ideas and you're helping them think in new ways, they will invite you to the table. All right, those are the 12. And I'm gonna ask you again, rate yourself on this last one on a scale of one to 12, how did you do? And as a recap, here they are again. Earn it, it's not given. Learn the business, know the leaders, become a subject matter expert, be a leader, 
get early wins. You got to collaborate across the organization, be courageous, think innovatively, strategically, and futuristically, get a champion or sponsor, get out of the office, and be an intrapreneur. So these are the 12. And so I'm going to ask you now, how did you rate? Oops, excuse me. How did you rate? And then what I want to do is I want to access the poll. I'm going to ask each of you uh, on number two, because number one, we don't have to do that one. But number two, how did you rate yourself? So if you look at the 12 strategies overall, did you give yourself a one, meaning not effective at all? I got a lot of work to do. Two, meaning somewhat effective. I'm working on some, not the others, but I'm not effective to a large degree on any of them. Or are you kind of three, you know, maybe some, some yes, some no, but, you know, again, very neutral. Or are you at a five, five to where you really are um, most effective in all of those? So I'm going to ask you to rate yourself. I'm going to put the polling up and I want to hear from each of you. Just put in there overall, what did you give yourself on the 12? A one, a two, a three, a four or five? Do number two, not number one uh, right here. How did you rate yourself? Answering question number two, how did you rate? Four people said 100%, five, okay. Keep, I'm gonna give you about 10 seconds. Put in your ratings. Five, four, three, two, one, I'm going to go ahead and end the polling and uh, we'll take a look at it and see what you got here. Some of you went on a rated number one anyway, so we'll take a look at that because I really just wanted you to give me your overall. So I'm assuming that's what you did between one and two. So it looks like we've got the majority of you are somewhere in the middle where you're somewhat effective and somewhat not effective. So you're kind of neutral. You're working on it. Uh, and then the other majority of you are in the fours, right? So I see some of you said that you're effective, not as effective. And then just about 2% of you are at a five, very effective. So overall, what we're seeing is that, yes, we all still know that we've got some work to do to be more effective in getting a seat at the table. Because, you know, quite frankly, the reality is, is if we were more effective at doing these 12, we may already have that seat at the table. All right, great. So I'm going to close this out. Thank you so much for sharing that. And then I am going to, let's see, close that out. All right. So next slide, I want to just kind of end this because I want to do some of the, um, as we talk about how do you sustain it. Some of you may already have a seat at the table or you're working on it. And so it's important for us that when we do get a seat at the table, that we practice continuous improvement, that we reinvent ourselves, right? So skill sets are constantly changing, needs are changing, businesses are changing, the climate is becoming more, more complex. And certainly as we look at the marketplace, there's new ways that we're doing business. And so we got to constantly stay on top of our game. We got to constantly reinvent ourselves, adopting new, new, new skills, new competencies, new mindsets, new attitude. We also have to provide continuous value. So it's not enough to get a seat at the table and just be happy and glad you're there. You can't just sit there, write notes and, and just listen and observe. You want to add value. You want to continuously share values, share new ideas, share your perspectives, 
uh, and continuously shut out the noise. There's a lot of noise that you'll hear at the table. But again, as I talked about being courageous, choosing your battles, which is also very important, is that you got to learn how to shut out the surrounding noise and, and again, be confident in what it is that you know and not be distracted and then maintaining your brand if you get a seat around that table you know you your brand is not assured that it will be consistent and there will be continuity you've got to always let people know who you are what you offer and why they should care you've got to always be talking about the value that you bring you've always got to be talking about you know your reputation and your brand as well and there's some key ways that you can do that and again those are in the book uh, as well so we are now going to take questions and comments, and I'm going to turn that over to, to Ben. But I also want to, again, give you two resources that you can um, access. For those of you who said, I'm not quite there yet in, my, in building that greater leadership effectiveness, there's a great course that's on lynda.com and LinkedIn Learning. Uh, it's the, the course that I've done on inclusive leadership. It's a one-hour virtual course, got a lot of data, a lot of strategies, lots of tips that will help you become a much more inclusive leader and help you build much more inclusive workplace cultures. Uh, and then certainly, if you want to purchase the book today, I'm offering a special just for those of you who have signed up for today's webinar. And that is if you purchase the seat or even reinvent yourself by July 31st, you can get $2 off the retail price and use the coupon code. You gotta use the coupon code and that is form 2018. Link in with me, follow me on Twitter. I hope some of you were tweeting today. I hope that you'll join my fan page as well and stay connected. So Ben, I'm gonna turn it over to you. I know we've got lots of great uh, comments in the chat room. Um, I'm gonna pull up some of them as well and uh, let's go through some of those. Yeah, definitely. And thank you so much, uh, Dr. Davis, for this wonderful presentation. I personally learned a lot myself, so thank you. Thank you. Um, so um, let's see, there was a question about sponsors. Does your sponsor have to be in your own department or is it best to have more than or have more than one sponsor? Yeah, you can have a sponsor anywhere in the organization, but when you choose your sponsor, they need to be a person that's well thought of, well respected by their peers, someone that has skill sets that you need, someone that has influence at the table and who's willing to invest the time and energy and effort on your behalf to get to know you and who will be willing to then put you out there. So they have to also you know, take a risk. And that is if they're going to champion you, they need to get to know you. So you'll have to be authentic and and, and transparent with them as well too, not to a fault, but to help you, you know, get to that seat at the table as well. So I'm big on your sponsor needs to be inside of your organization and they can be in your individual department as well. But when you get a mentor, a mentor does not have to be in your company at all. A mentor can be someone in and outside of the organization. Thank you. Um, next question. Uh, well, we've had a couple of comments um, uh, thank you. I think the information will be very valuable with our agency's Black Women Employee Resource Group. I'm going to reply the pre I'm guessing replay the presentation and have them do the exercise. Oh, and, and from a Minnesotan from Verona. So thank you, Verona. We have Hope who rated herself at three to four. Um, Cora who asked if you could show the twelve again. Um, that was about ten minutes ago. Mind just showing? Yep, we're up. the screen is up there. Yeah. So I'll leave that up there for a few seconds right. and put it on the next screen. Yes. 
And then, so there's, and then question for the panelists, what if you've rated, you've you, you rated high in each of these categories, but still aren't getting a seat? Yeah, then you want a couple of things you want to do is think about then, um, one, your brand, your credibility. Do people really see you as having that value that they need? Are you that subject matter expert? And do you have a sponsor that can get you at the seat? There may not be any seats available in your organization right now, but if they become available, you want to make sure you're getting your name out there to to be considered when they do become available. The other thing that may be happening too, and I know this is a reality, is that there's biases, there's prejudices, and there's stereotypes that we still have to overcome inside of our organizations. And at some point we have to think, is this the right company for me that's going to provide opportunities at some point, maybe not today, but in the near future. And if not, you may have to consider going to look at other companies where there are some of those opportunities where there's not a glass ceiling. Thank you. Um, we have next from Raul. Thank you for thank you for amazing talk. You are a natural speaker. Have you done any public speaking training like Toastmasters International? Uh, yes, I absolutely do. I have a great mastermind program that I teach people on how to speak, and there's a lot of others. So link in with me, send me a personal message, and I'll give you some resources to help you as well. I'm actually on the um, board of the National Speakers Association, so I appreciate that because that means then I'm. I'm representing well. That's great. Thanks so much. Wonderful. And, and also, Dr. Davis, if you'd like um, to send any information that you'd like us to post to the website along oh, with the recording of this, please feel okay. free and we can post, like I said, any resources that you'd like to share that you think would be beneficial, um, such as that information. Um, I, let's see. I will be posting on SHRM and HRCI. Co oh, that's Aaron's. <laughs> um, fantastic webinar. Thank you. Quick question. How you were able to change perception of existing leadership or people around or are people already on the table? I'm guessing how were you able to change perception of existing leadership or people yeah. on the table? That, that's an important piece is that all of us need to think about how we're coming across to people inside of our organizations because people do um, they have these perceptions about us and sometimes they make those very, very early on. It's sometimes very hard to change a person's perception about you if it's negative. If they've had a bad experience with you or they've heard from someone else who had a bad experience, it is sometimes hard to change that. What that means sometimes is you may have to go to the source or go to the leader who you think may have uh, a, bad, um, a bad perception of who you are and talk it through. And then other times you may just have to start being your own voice vocal cheerleader in the organization and start stating your value in a way that helps to change some of that perception, or you have your sponsor help you do some of that as well. So it's it's a journey. It takes time because when people have a way of seeing you, it's hard to change that, but it can be changed. It just takes time. Thank you. And, and Aaron has gone ahead and posted the uh, SHRM activity codes and the HRCI activity codes, along with the link to the webinar or the webinar survey. In the in the section, comment section, uh, so please feel free to take a time and look at that. Uh, next question: Do you have tips for um, for a manufacturing engineer that knows they want to transition to HR? 
Yeah, I would recommend that you find uh, someone who's already in HR, spend some time with them, particularly maybe even as a peer coach and as a mentor, start asking them about the work that they do on a daily basis. I'd ask you to maybe to attend some of the HR local chapters of SHRM. They have a lot of good information and resources and programming that will help you do some studying on SHRM.org. There's a lot of resources and books that you can read to learn more about the HR field and then Take your expertise as an engineer and find out which of those skills are transferable over to an HR role. So all things that we do have some skills that can be transferable, whether it's leadership, analytical thinking, data analytics, all of those are ways that you can then parlay that over into the HR um, HR role. Great. Um, uh, when changing divisions slash organizations, what advice would you give in choosing or being strategic about a move? Do it very carefully, do it very thoughtfully, and um, and, and and take your time. You do want to t uh, look at the division that you're, you're targeting or that you want to go to and find out a little bit about them. Do your due diligence. Talk to people who are already over there. Find out what it's like to work over there. Find out what their culture is like. Uh, and I would even then maybe take on a couple of projects or one maybe one project in another division that you're thinking about going to to see kind of what it is like to work there day in and day out. Um, and then I'd also, if, if you get a sponsor, not a sponsor, a mentor over in that area, they can uh, answer a lot of those questions and stuff for you as well. So do a little bit of due diligence. Don't just jump over there because you may be jumping from one issue to another issue. Great. Thank you for that. Do we have any other questions? I don't see any, but I would certainly um, ask people if you have any more to please reach out to me. All of my contact information um, is here on the screen. Actually, we do have one more. Oh, good. Uh, do you have any recommendations on using these strategies in the diversity and inclusion field? Would all still apply or are there some modifications? They all apply because I'm a chief diversity officer by nature and by trade. And so, yes, as I was writing these out and as I was hearing from these, a lot of these came from people who were not in the field of diversity and inclusion, but they came from leaders in general. And as I have overlaid them with the work that I do, I teach this stuff in my work around diversity and inclusion to leaders on how to create a seat at the table, how to bring in more diversity at the table. So, yes, they absolutely apply. Great. Yeah, I was going to say, yes, definitely. But, um, any other questions? Um, like, they, like that Dr. Davis said, her contact information is up here on screen, and she was more than happy to answer any questions you would have if you um, email her directly or follow her on Twitter or, or like her page on Facebook or or connect on LinkedIn. Absolutely. And please, if they want to buy the book, they have until July 31st. I want to give them about eight days for them to purchase and um, we'll take the discount then. And then after that, on August 1st, it goes back to its regular price of $17.99. But today through July 31st, it'll be $15.99. Wonderful. And we have one last question and then I'm going to close it. Um, uh, we, we're going a little over, but can you repeat the, uh, the LinkedIn learning tool? Yeah, I'll actually go back up to that um, slide. Absolutely. Take that. It's a wonderful course, and it's one that I would even recommend to your entire leadership team. It's over 30,000 
leaders have taken it um, to date and it launched this past March. So please take advantage of it. Great, thank you. Um, so I, on that, I just want to say again, thank you so much to Dr. Shirley Davis um, for this wonderful uh, webinar and for everyone who participated in today's webinar. A special thank you to our webinar sponsor, Aon. As promised, uh, Aaron has posted the the HRC, uh, the SHRM and HRCI activity codes in the in this uh, in the chat. But I will just just read it out. The SHRM code is one eight dash X E nine five Y, and the HRCI activity code is three five nine one eight seven. Um, as I and as Dr. Davis said, a special thank you. There will be, you know, she's offering a discounted rate on the book. So please visit her website, www.shirleydavis.com slash store and use the code form 2018 for that discount. And that and that is go good through July 31st. <clears throat> and I also want to join, please join, encourage you to join us for our next forum webinar. Culture Talk, Culture and Cultural Identity with, um, with presenter Nanette Misoji on August 23rd at 11 a.m. Central Time. And as a reminder, tomorrow is the deadline for the 2019, 2019 call for presentation. So be, for, be sure to get your proposals submitted by end of day tomorrow. For more information on the call for presentations, upcoming webinars, all of our upcoming events, DEI resources and contests, Visit us at forumworkplaceinclusion.org or visit us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and or Twitter. Just search Forum on Workplace Inclusion. Thank you for listening to the Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast. Subscribe to our podcast to get updates on the latest episodes. For more information, visit us at forumworkplaceinclusion.org or search Workplace Forum on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn.